Beautiful. And uh, we are following along with a uh, hundred years of science of mind, uh, taking it to the street, which is the theme for my home office this year. So we're following along with that. And uh, we have shook it up a little bit this uh, month. We're doing a little bit different than home office. We're doing uh, falling into metaphysics falling into metaphysics. So each week this month, we have been exploring a New Thought classic, one of the New Thought classic books, and we started off with uh, the game of life and how to play it. That was fun. Last week, we did Ernest Holmes with this thing called you and this thing called life, and I got a couple of them in there, creative mind and success. Tonight, or today, we are moving into Eric Butterworth's Discover the Power Within. Discover the Power Within You. It's written in 1968. This is the 20th uh, anniversary edition from 88, and the 40th anniversary edition came out about 10 years ago. So for those of you that don't know Eric Butterworth, one of the uh, things that we probably study the most of his books is spiritual economics. We use that in one of our classes, and, uh, and it's a lovely book about prosperity and abundance. If you haven't read it, it's a wonderful way to look at the spiritual side of money. But this book is really considered a, a New Thought classic throughout, throughout uh, the movement, throughout uh, both New Thought churches. Uh, Eric Butterworth was a unity minister. He became a unity minister around in World War II. And he had three churches. He had a church in uh, uh, Pennsylvania that had about 2,000 people. And then he moved to his New York church where he had several thousand people on a Sunday. He was quite the teacher, quite the speaker. He had a radio show like Ernest. He was uh, quite well-known. He's written 16 books. So, so he has a, a lot to say. And towards the, later on in the, in the talk, I'll sum up what he says about his teaching. Many consider him a 20th century Emerson. So he's, he's somebody that's got some stuff to say and worth listening to. You know, the uh, difference between um, unity and science of mind, you know, we, we are both under that new thought umbrella. We're uh, religious science, Center for Spiritual Living, unity, and then there's divine science, which is a smaller but still viable uh, church that is still open today. So we're kind of the, the three primary new thought churches, if you will, that are still in existence today. But the main difference between unity and us is that unity tends to use the Bible more than we do. They tend to use the Bible. Now they use a metaphysical interpretation of the Bible. So it's more of a new thought Christianity, they would call themselves, where we're sort of more eclectic. We embrace all religions. So that's sort of the main difference, you know. But I was introduced to new thought through unity. I was introduced to New Thought through the Daily Word. Somebody gave me the Daily Word about 1988, right around and then, and I started to read it. And the Daily Word is 
the Unity's version of Our Science of Mind magazine. So it's got a daily thing to read each day, you know. And what was really nice for me at that time in my life, because I had come from an organized religion, I had come from a specific denomination background, and it was an easy transition for me because they still did use those verses of the Bible that I understood. But they had a new thought spin on them, which I was like, yeah, this is what I think they were meaning about this all along. You know, the interpretation of those Bible sayings just made so much more sense to me, right? You know, that God is love and only love. Yeah, yeah that made sense to me. So it was sort of my way into. So I discovered uh, Eric Butterworth, I think, probably before I read Ernest Holmes. Uh, it was the first book that sort of uh, introduced the idea to me that perhaps God was in me and not off into some far off heaven. That idea that it could be different than what I thought. So I very much love this book. You know, and I have a real affinity with Jesus. I always have. Um, I always thought he was a super cool guy. I mean, I would have loved to know Jesus, you know, and walked around with Jesus and done the things that he did and hung out with him and seen the miracles, you know. And, uh, and, 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 Eric Butterworth talks a lot, particularly in this book, about the teachings of Jesus, you know, and Ernest does too, in the back of our Science of Mind text, there's a whole big section, but it's in the back of the text, right? So we, oftentimes we don't emphasize it. So we're going to talk a little bit about Jesus today, you know, so I invite you to keep an open mind. We're going to talk about Jesus in a different way than you might have been raised to know about Jesus, you know, and... Uh, what Jesus' teaching really was, you know, was a teaching of love. You know, as children, you might have been taught that the words of Jesus were the red words in the Bible, right? In the New Testament, the red words, those were Jesus' words, right? And that was the kind of, for me, was the juicy part of the Bible. It was the good part of the Bible. I liked that, you know? But today, we're going to be talking about the religion of Jesus. Um, Betterworth, he says uh, that... Uh, we're taught a lot about the religion about Jesus, but not the religion of Jesus. So that's what we're going to talk about today. You know, in the book he writes about many, many things, and there's no way I could possibly cover it all in one 20-minute talk. So I'm going to go over the first couple of chapters, but I invite you, if you're interested in this at all, to pick up the book, to read it. It's so fascinating. He goes into things like uh, the Nicaea Council in uh, Constantine in 325 AD, called together the council. And the council was called together to come up with an idea of God that would be acceptable to all the facets. You know, uh, Butterworth says it's sort of like a modern day union meeting negotiation. Like, okay, we'll take that part out, but we'll put that part in, but we're not gonna say that about him, but we're gonna put that in. And, and they came up with the trilogy. You know, they came up with God the Father, God the Son, and God the, and they've all voted on it. And they said, yeah, we'll go with that, three versions, right? So it's interesting stuff like that, the historical, like how we got some of these teachings that we, sometimes just believe as being fact, you know? But when you go back and look at the history in it, it's pretty interesting. So what did Jesus really teach? What did Jesus really teach? Theology, theology, theologians, again, this is uh, Eric Butterworth, have been preoccupied with religion about Jesus, but what of the religion of Jesus? What about the religion of Jesus? You know, in a... There's certain things that we know that Jesus said, like love your neighbor as yourself, right? We all probably think that's a pretty good thing, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And, uh, 
There's a story of a young man named Brandon, and he uh, lived and grew up in rural Oregon. And in rural Oregon, he said it was really easy to love your neighbors because you knew your neighbors, right? You knew who lived next to you on the farm, or you knew who lived down the street, and you knew their names. And then he moved to New York City, and he moved to Manhattan, and he said it was very hard. He didn't know his neighbors. He said he didn't even know the name of the people that lived in the apartment next to him. Right? And uh, one day he was walking on the street and he came across a homeless woman and she asked him if he had any money and he said no, he didn't. And uh, the next day he saw her again and he, she asked if he had any money and he said no, he didn't. And then a couple more times she asked her and he said no. And she said, you better not because every time I ask you, you don't have any. Right? And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm on the way to a job interview and if I get the job, I'll take you out for Chinese food. Right? Well, he got the job, and they went out for Chinese food. And this dinner turned into an eight-year friendship between the two of them. They not only celebrated birthdays together, they celebrated other celebrations, they celebrated victories. And, and one day when his heater went out, she brought him a blanket she had knitted for him, right? And then two days later after that, he lost his job. And when he told her, a little while later, she showed up with a bag of food. Even though she didn't have anything, she showed up with this bag of food. And every day she'd bring him something like a candy bar or something, you know, so, so he wouldn't go hungry. You know, and eventually her story is that she moved from the streets into the subway and from the subway into the YMCA and from the YMCA into a halfway house. And she was getting ready to get her own apartment. And all this time her and Brandon had been friends and, and sharing things together. And he wanted to help her move into her apartment. So he decided he was going to take her to Target and he was going to teach her how to use the little thing where you register right and do like a registry and then he was going to go put it on GoFundMe so people could give her money so she could go to Target and get everything she needed for her apartment. So they went to Target and he did a little video, you can see it on YouTube if you want, about what they're doing and their intention was to raise $500, they raised $6,000, right, which they've continued to pass on, to pass on to other people who have needed uh, money to get off the streets to get off the streets. So by this very little act of kindness, you know, of getting to know his neighbor and loving his neighbor, he was able to do all this good. He went on to become a DJ for Lady Gaga, you know, his own life blossomed and his friend's life blossomed, you know. The teaching of Jesus, love your neighbor, love your neighbor. We just never know what'll happen. Uh, Preachers have emphasized the divinity of Jesus, but Butterworth says Jesus taught the divinity of man, right? Jesus came to tell us all this and more you can do. Sometimes we miss that. Butterworth says in the introduction to the Gospels of Jesus, he, I'm sorry, he introduces the Gospels of Jesus in a new context with the repeated emphasis on the Christ in you. Now, the Christ in you, and that's another thing, you know, when we talk about Christ in new thought, we're talking about the Christ consciousness. We're not talking about a guy. You know, some people say they think Jesus' his name is Jesus Christ, like that's his last name, right? Well, it's not, right? The Christ is the Christ in you, that Christ consciousness. Where is that Christ consciousness emerging in you? Right?
The first chapter of the book is called The Eternal Quest. The Eternal Quest. Man has looked everywhere but has failed to look within. Occasionally a prophet will come along and the prophet will teach the people about going within, looking within, going deeper. And what happens is the people start to worship the prophet. And then the prophet becomes the God and they've lost the whole message of looking within. Of looking within. So the message is to look for that God within us. You know, I have a little thing in my car. It's my little thing that hangs from my rearview mirror. And it says, begin within. Begin within. Because that's where the journey starts. The journey starts within us. You know, what was the other little saying? It's kind of the cliche that it's an inside job. It's an inside job. We need to look inside of ourselves. What we're looking for is not out here. It's within. And sometimes we get confused by that. Uh, earn, uh, Eric Butterworth says the alpha and the omega of Jesus' message is the divinity of man. That that is his teaching. That we are divine. Chapter 2 is the great discovery. Chapter 2 in the book is the great discovery. The philosopher Fitch said that an insight into the absolute unity of man with the divine is the profoundest knowledge that man can attain. Knowing our unity. Butterworth says it like this, we must see Jesus as the great discoverer of the divinity of man, the pioneer and way shower in the world of within. The way shower, you know. Jesus came and, and, and was born just like you or I and somehow had some sort of spiritual awakening. You know, we don't have a lot of information from 12 to 30 on Jesus, but somehow in that time, Butterworth um, speculates that Jesus had some sort of thing that happened to him that opened up in him where he became one with the divine, where he was able to really see that which we all have, the potential in us, but Jesus was able to master it. So he is sort of the way shower. If it's not short of, he is the way shower. He's the one that says, look, look what you can do. Look what you can be. Chapter three, the great decision. Butterworth says, excuse me. <coughs> I think I just talked too much. My throat gets dry. <clears throat> he says that um, in the four Gospels is where the teaching of Jesus can be found. Now, there's only one of the miracles that's in all four of the Gospels, and it's the miracle of the loaves and fishes, and that's found in all four Gospels. <coughs> but in all the teaching of Jesus, one of the things that has not been debated is that he performed miracles. Now, people may debate what his message was or why he was here, but there is no question that he did perform these miracles, and they're recorded in history, and they're recorded in the Gospels. But what uh, Butterworth says Jesus did not do is Jesus did not come to form a new religion. He formulated no creed. He created no ritual, and he developed no theology. Matthew 5.17, think not that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I came not to destroy, but to fulfill, but to fulfill. 
The whole of his teaching was the divinity of man. To Jesus, religion was not simply a way of believing and worshiping. It was a way of living. It was a way of life. And I hope for us that our science of mind teachings become a way of life. That it's just what we do. We pay attention to our thinking. We notice what we're thinking. And when we notice that we're thinking things that may not be creating the life that we want, we change that thinking, right? So we can create the life that we do want to live. On uh, uh, September 11, 2001, the day that the World Trade Centers came down, 9-11, there was a woman named Linda. She lived in Brooklyn Heights, and she lived on a Clinton Street, which is directly across from the Brooklyn Bridge. So she lived kind of on the other side of the bridge from Manhattan, and her husband was at work that morning, and she was in her studio at home. And he was at work in Manhattan, and uh, she was working in her studio, and she heard the bang. She heard the bang and uh, looked out the window, and she didn't see anything. But a few minutes later, her husband called, and uh, he said that a plane had gone into the towers, right? And she thought, well, like many of us did, a passenger plane or a private pilot, you know, went off track and hit the, hit the tower, you know. But a little bit later, the second tower came down, and, and her husband called and told her about that. And he said, they're closing down Manhattan, basically. They've closed down all the transportation. We're all to leave. We're all to leave the area. And then, of course, the Pentagon was hit. And, uh, and uh, what happened, she said, is all the public transportation was closed down, so all those people that were in the city needed to find a way home. And they would spend hours, some of them, walking across the bridges, going through the tunnels, finding a way to get to their home. And if their home was too far, they were invited to stay with families and friends and people. And she said it was like a state of grace came over the whole of New York. And she stood out front of her house with her neighbors and she watched the people come across the bridge, come home back to Brooklyn. And she said they were covered in soot and they were covered in grime and they looked like they'd been in a war, right? And one lady in particular was coming by in a bright red dress with big red and black high heel shoes. And Linda said in that moment, she was standing in front, and they were asking people as they went by, do you need some water? What can I do for you? Can I call somebody for you? And they were just trying to help the people as they were coming by. And this one particular lady, she realized she was not going to make it home in those hills. You know, so she offered her her little yellow pair of flip-flops she had, the $1.99 flip-flops from the store, right? And at first the woman didn't want to take them, but then she did. She said, I don't know if I'd make them home. And she says, I'll bring them back to you. And Linda says, I don't need them. They're, they're nothing. They're a little pair of flip-flops, you know. And, um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, the next morning, they were on her porch. They were on her steps. And, um, it's not good. <coughs> Ding. I apologize. And uh, the very next day, her doorbell rang. And Anna was the woman's name. She was at her door with yellow roses. And she said, yellow roses are for friendship. She said, thank you so much. My mother wants to meet you. And she says, what, does she want to know where I got my $1.99 flip-flop? She says, no, she wants to meet the woman who let me walk home in her shoes. You know? And they became fast friends, and they continue to be friends today. Um, you know, we never know when that little act of kindness, when that little act of kindness, you know, what we can do for somebody in that moment. Mm -hmm. 
Socrates, there's a story about Socrates. There was an ancient traveler in Greece who came up to Socrates and he had lost his way and he said, how can I reach Mount Olympus? To which Socrates replied, just make every step you take go in that direction. Right? So each of us is seeking our own Mount Olympus, right? Are we taking steps that are moving us into that direction? Are we taking the steps that are taking us to where we want to go? You know, at times we fall prey to the thought that the divine idea is too lofty. After all, I'm only human, right? After all, I'm only human. How can I live up to these ideas of Jesus? How can I live up to these ideas of being divine, right? It's more than I can, can attain. Butterworth warns us that this is a grave mistake to believe we are only human. John 10:34, is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? We are human in expression, but divine in creation and limitless in potentiality. That's Eric, I like that. We are human in expression, but divine in creation and limitless in potentiality. You know, so it's really the tip of the iceberg of what's inside of this great book. I do encourage each of you, if you have any interest in the subject at all, to read it. It's fascinating. It truly is. But I came across an article of Eric Butterworth, and it was called The Truth in a Nutshell. And what he said, he said that uh, he's given thousands of talks, you know, and he did. I mean, he gave thousands and thousands of talks, and he says, but the truth is that he could narrow down all of his teaching into three points. Now, last week I shared with you three points that I thought were important, and you know what, I like his better. He's got a better scope of what it is. He says, number one, the omnipresence of God. That there is nowhere we can go that God is not. He says there are no God empty spots. I like that. There's no God empty spots. There's nowhere we can go where God is not. So number one, the omnipresence of God. That would be the thing that he talked about. Number two, the divinity of man. Jesus was the way shower in that he revealed the di divine potential of humankind. So the omnipresence of God and the divinity of man. And last but not least, the creative power of thought. The creative power of thought. Man is not what he thinks he is, but what he thinks he is. I liked that one. That's him. Man is not what he thinks he is, but what he thinks he is. Right? What we think we become. Right? Eric says, you can think yourself into being unhappy or depressed. You can think yourself into being glad. You can think yourself into being well or prosperous. Or you can think yourself into being poor and sick. You can actually think yourself into unemployment. Or you can think yourself back to a good salary position. Elsie Robinson says, things may happen around you and things may happen to you. But the only thing that really counts are the things that happen in you. So I encourage you this week. I encourage each of you this week to find some time to go within, to be quiet, to listen to that still, small voice, and to discover the power within you. God bless you. So glad that you're here today. So good to have you. Welcome. Welcome.